This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Special edition this week featuring uh, a whole cavalcade of, of uh, Brit rest stars, as it were. Uh, but Rob's not around, um, so I have a special surprise for you, which is the return of Oliver Court. Hello, on hello everyone. I'm back. <laughs> I've uh, left the Yakuza. Well, I never really joined it in the <laughs> first place, but uh, they didn't want me in the end. Did, didn't you get detained in Hawaii? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I had a holiday there. Um, definitely no airport-related troubles. No, it definitely like wasn't our good friend, Matty, Matty S. No, that's too obvious. <laughs> too Let's obvious. Let's call him M-Side Al. M-Side Al. Um, well, yeah, I have been away for a while because, I guess, for an assortment of reasons, uh, both wrestling-related and non-wrestling-related, I kind of got sick of wrestling for a bit. Um, it happens. I mean, I, I did enjoy uh, the wrestling I watched in Japan, uh, apart from one match. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I just thought, like, I don't know, that was a good place to kind of leave it there for a bit. And I guess kind of the mood I was in uh, kind of just meant I had to make it sort of a hard cut away. So, yeah, but I didn't go on a, a lengthy Twitter rant set telling everyone how I needed to step away for a while. Um, so I, I just kind of cut off completely, um, which obviously isn't really how I wanted to. It, it did create an era of, of mystery because I had numerous messages from people saying, is Ollie all right? <laughs> like, have you seen Ollie? Have you spoken to Ollie? And I'm like, I'm sure he's fine. Yeah. I just needed to run off into the wilderness for like three months and then, I don't know, make a slow return back. And I've gone to a couple of shows in the last month or so been weaning my way back into it um and yeah i i don't know i guess it's sort of like just rebuilding my fandom from where it was like it's it's a it's a new it's a new age on (laughs) not to not to be too wanky about it i guess well i took three years off at one point yeah it'll happen it's just um one of those things and even when when uh you were on your way back in uh i took like a, a month off and I almost wasn't back for this because, like, I hadn't seen anything. Yeah. And then uh, it was, like, towards the end of June, I just started watching everything again. It was just <laughs> one of those things. It just... Yeah, I don't know. It can, it can get a lot sometimes. And, like, when you're feeling the pressure to like something so much that it's sort of detracting from it before you've even watched it. And obviously all the politics. And, you know, the last podcast we did was the whole WWUK one, which was obviously a bit of a downer episode. Um, yeah. Just yeah, the way everything was, which just wasn't good, and yeah, like I don't know, just <laughs> it's it's better to you know 
cut off when things are kind of just pissing you off for no good reason and then build it back up and remember why you care about it again. So this yeah. is why I left and this is why I'm back because I care about it too much and I love the banter. Excellent. <laughs> well, it's good to have you back. It's good to be back. It's good to be back it- talking to you. It was fun seeing... Uh, all the lads, or some of all the lads, <laughs> uh, on <laughs> the Sunday, section of the lads uh, coming from the baseball game to talking to you guys in the Dundee Arms, which was very fun indeed. Yeah, we just come out of WrestleQueendom, which was uh, it overran by like an hour and forty minutes. Yeah, <laughs> so we should have been severely lubricated by the point that you turned up, but we'd actually like just left the building. So, <laughs> uh, we have a list of things that we want to talk about. Um, not that we've seen everything that we're going to talk about, but like we're going to talk about it anyway. Um, we're going to kind of uh, kick off with uh, WrestleRama three, and specifically the uh, Walter Star match that headlined that show, the twenty sixth match in their uh, increasingly one sided feud. And um, so you, were, you actually got a chance. Yeah, you actually got a chance to watch this. Yeah, I did. Um, only this match from the show, but yeah, I'll go back and watch the rest of it after this. But yeah, just because I get this match was, you know, the big talking point. You know, yeah. there was not a whole lot on the undercard. But, you know, there were some decent matches, I hear, but uh, this yeah, one was, was sort of was the big ticket. There was a couple that I, I think uh, stood out. The um, Scotty Davis uh, match with Darby Allen, I thought was really good. Um I can't remember who it was. I was, I was talking to somebody about Scotty Davis, and he felt like he'd had a bit of a wobble, sort of over the previous couple of months, and he, he probably hadn't been living up to uh, the high standard that he'd set himself. And it's kind of notable that he wasn't being used by Fight Club, even though he got like the uh, contract that he won in a tournament there, uh, but they were using everybody else. So it, it kind of felt like he he kind of taken the back seat to these uh, chosen one. Uh, spot there for a, for a while, but uh, this was very much a, a return to form for him and a, and a really good match. Yeah, uh, obviously, Ray Horace and Bandito was great. I guess without speaking, yeah, that's that's the throw him out there and do do the stuff <laughs> match. Yeah, yeah. So I enjoyed that, and uh, I thought Mark Haskins had a very good match with with Terry Taylor. But otherwise, it was it was kind of loaded onto that that main event. That was the reason for people uh, watching the show. Uh, do you feel it kind of lived up to the the hype that it had? I know a few people in the building were were throwing the yeah. big five around. Uh, it was probably a match better suited to being there live, um, especially if you were buying in to David Starr potentially winning it. Um, I guess most likely he's probably only ever going to win it first time in WXW. Um, so it kind of does maybe detract from some of the other matches outside I, of WXW. I, I kind of get the feeling that the way OTT and Progress have booked David Starr, it's specifically to make you believe that yeah. he is going to beat Walter, and that's how he gets back into WXW, where he's basically not—he's not there anymore. So, like, the logical path back in would be a victory over Walter to prove that he can do it. Okay. So maybe there is a, a chance of him winning in OTT or Progress, whereas, like, if you ask me that. A year ago, I just said, no, that's outrageous. Why would yeah. you do that? It ruined I the whole storyline, but it does feel sensible now. The situation is definitely changing. Like, I mean, especially in OTT, I feel like they are booking the whole main event program around 
that feud and that 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 dynamic. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've yeah, I've always said it was going to be WXW where it finally happens if it ever does happen, which it probably will. Um, but yeah, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> By this point in time, in 2019, maybe it has changed, as you say. Uh, we, I think, we're certainly getting close to the time where it it could happen. Whereas we started talking about the feud like two years ago, I guess. Mm. Well, it's gotten so melodramatic now that it kind of has to. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's nowhere really else to go. Like, after all the shenanigans in this match, and this is why I say it was probably better for the live crowd because, um, you know, I'm not I'm not a big fan of shenanigans in any case. Obviously, these <laughs> are pretty well earned after all the all the build up. Um, and obviously, after you've done so many matches, you need to take it somewhere else and to higher stakes and higher moments. Um, but yeah, like I, there's always in the back of my mind going to be like, oh, ref bump or run like interference. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm just I, a horrible pure nerd in that I, sense. I do hate ref bumps for the most part. But I thought this was a really good ref bump in this match. Yeah, <laughs> he My got Foxy John Wood proper, to hell. proper yeah. got killed on it. I know it did look fantastic. I mean, yeah, all all of the big moments of this match did were like very well played out. Like yeah. they, if you're gonna go for melodrama, you got to make it big. And David Starr is very good at those big moments because he is such a large ham. He's been watching <laughs> his uh his Star Trek tapes. Um, <laughs> auditioning for the role of Kirk in the future potentially um, but yeah it's, they, they did a really good job of getting all those moments ingrained in your head and all, all the big shots this will look great in a video package in a few months time <laughs> yeah I, I was particularly uh, pleased with how the strategy played out because he did a lot of legwork to set stuff up and they didn't let that completely overwhelm the match so Volta was still able to hit moves because like he's just really big and he can do that. But he'd also has had problems with his mobility because of the, the work done to his leg. So it's it had a a really good balance, I thought, between uh psychology and action, which is very difficult to achieve. So I thought they did a really good job with a, yeah. a difficult uh set of circumstances. I'll I'll steal the what you said in your review and in that it was sports entertainment as hell but better than yeah. basically anybody else does sports entertainment so as, as i say if you are gonna do it like this this is kind of a match to do it like it's one of the best executions of that style of match in a long long time kind of i don't know like the early noughties wwe wwf style yeah he's uh old joker bray's got a very good handle on the book in here I think he, he made a slight miscalculation on this show because I think the uh, the Max return and his match with Devlin didn't really work. I thought that match was quite disappointing. But apart from that, it's like the way he's positioned uh, Volta Star and Devlin to all be their own heroes is just masterful stuff because, like, I don't think any of them have like that one hundred percent crowd support. Yeah. You just you like who you like, and they only have they have their own motivations for doing what they do, and it's it's just come together like a perfect storm of of stuff. Where even Devlin's getting booed at times because his motivation is to stop Star, and the crowd are desperate for Star to beat Volta, but they don't want Star to beat Devlin, and Volta's kind of 
Yeah, he's kind of a good guy now after that that run as a, uh, a dominant heel champion because he lost to Devlin. People aren't holding it against him. And they've all got the support and it's just, it's turned into this little love triangle almost. <laughs> it's like, you, who, who do you fancy the most? Yeah, they've done a fantastic job of making everyone watching care about all three guys. As you say, whether it is caring in a positive or negative sense, everybody's got their favourite. Um, and yeah, it, <laughs> who is going to get off with the belt in the end? <laughs> <laughs> it, it does kind of remind me of uh, a lot of old uh, ECW stuff with Paul Heyman, where he would build the characters up strongly and just kind of pit them against each other and, and have stakes and uh, have the matches mean something. And that's how it feels this has been put together for the last, I don't know, maybe a year at this point. They've done a lot of very good stuff. The only thing OTT are really struggling with at the moment is they can't find any venues to run shows in. Mm. So all of their big shows are just feel spread out and there's nothing to link them together to keep that heat going. And they, they've done a masterful job, obviously, with video packages, which I think helps immensely. But uh, that is the big concern in Ireland. There's, there's no there's no buildings to run in. Yeah, I saw this one happen sort of outside the Dublin Ring Road. Like <laughs> we're in like Slough territory. Mm. Um, like obviously it's n- nothing like the Tivoli, you know, ingrained in central Dublin um, or like the National Stadium as well in that area. Like you know, you're out in. I don't. I, I mean, I've never been to the National Basketball Arena, um, <laughs> but no, yeah, it's, no it's, it's not. It it's not the most prestigious venue ever, and yeah, kind of didn't look great on tape either. Um, so, I mean, certainly not as good as the Tivoli. I mean, that's that's just something we're gonna have to get over, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> well, the Tivoli's a pretty building, but it doesn't yeah. hold a lot of people. So, oh, I mean, please. even logically, they they probably would have moved on from there eventually, just to to get more people in. Uh, but I don't know. I I don't know Dublin well, um, do I? <laughs> and I don't know. It seems weird that they don't have affordable venues there. Well, it's uh, as it's sort of like Birmingham. Like you know, there's there's yeah. only places you could run it that look great, yeah. but they're too expensive, and or don't want wrestling. Like yeah, I talked about that uh, with uh, Will Cooling the other day because we were at uh, Fight Club Pro and we were talking about the lack of wrestling in central Birmingham and we, we want, went to uh, a show at Prism which was uh, Fight Forever and it looked cool and it was real easy to get to but I I assume they paid through the nose for that venue on a weekend mm. I, Pr- Prism's a horrible horrible place with uh, the airport security that'll, yeah. that'll harsh your buzz before you even get in <laughs> it does look good inside though they've got a lot of uh, like walls for the uh uh like video screen thing oh yeah it's yeah huge. i mean I, that the old club was called gate crasher and that's where i went to see uh kamikaze pro one time and yeah as you say the video screens did look incredible it was a, a cool place to watch wrestling in but yeah just too expensive to run regularly for them um and i guess not really up the like family marketing alley either um so yeah just it is a bit of a shame that, I mean, outside of London, running in inner cities, or outside of the north as well, um, running in inner cities is quite difficult, seemingly. 
Well, they were to say you couldn't run in central London. Nobody did. They all ran yeah. sort of in peripheral uh, parts of the city. And but loads of companies run central London now. It seems to be the done thing. So I don't know. It's weird. It's very weird. And uh, but yeah, Dublin seems to be a, very much a, a lack of venues is the issue for OTT. It's not through lack of trying. Mm. Um, but they've still got the passionate fans, even. Oh yeah, they've got the fan base, which is that's half the in. battle. So. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, everyone was going crazy for it on the timeline after this match happened, um, and obviously it had it the the solid five star rating on the Grapple app um, for a while before sort of people watched it on VOD and normalised the rating a little bit. <sighs> but yeah, that proves that the hardcore OTT fans, the hardcore Irish fans, are well, well into this feud and. To be honest, you know, I'm not the fucking biggest David Starr fan in the world. Um, but <laughs> his the sort of reaction to him by Pete Dunne and others, sort of as if he's pissed in their cereal, is, <laughs> make, is unfortunately making me like him a lot more. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd like to see where this uh, this whole independent thing goes. But like, as soon as he started standing up for like an anti WWE contingent, it that. I kind of was won over by that. I've I've always enjoyed his his in ring work, and if I ever gave the impression that that wasn't true, that uh, that's wrong. I've always enjoyed his in ring. the The issue has been more about his character, um, and I think his character work over the last I want to say about eighteen months, maybe two years, has just been exemplary. Uh, the heel stuff in Rev Pro has has led to him being accepted as something other than a white meat baby face in, mm-hmm. in every other promotion in, in Europe. And uh, he's just delivered excellent uh, wrestling storylines everywhere he's gone. And he's so easy to build around because you just go out there and say, David, cut a promo on, on this guy. And he'll be like, yeah, no problem. Boom. And you're off and running. Yeah, he's he's done a very good job of being everywhere and being in memorable, relevant storylines and arcs um, everywhere he's gone. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> in every sense of the word, he's doing a good job. Um, yeah, I've been up, I've been up and down on elements of him. I still hate the lariat on bigger opponents. Like I'm fine if he lariats Michael Oku. Like <laughs> and flips him around, but what? Yeah, I don't know. Ever since the uh, the whole the sixteen carat debacle, um, where I had my whole meltdown about it, I still haven't been able to look at it the same way. <laughs> yeah, I've always had a bit of an issue with it, but um, he does throw a lot of weight into it. He does yeah, make it, it is look good looking, good, but so... again, I don't know. It's it toes the line of believability for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that is true. But, uh, well, it's wrestling, so it cares? is wrestling. <laughs> but yeah, I do like uh, the idea that uh, a bigger wrestler shouldn't be able to be like thrown by a smaller one or ideas to that. Yeah, I, I, won't, I won't get bogged down in the nitpicking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do no, like let's the nitpick. not. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was WrestleRama. Uh, we're not going to go into too much depth because uh, Ollie hasn't seen the rest of the show. The Next topic on our list was uh, Michael Oku, which is handy because you just mentioned it. I've got, yeah, I mean, I've sort of dubbed him the saviour of Britress since I've returned because he's easily been the most exciting guy uh, for me personally uh, since coming back because I'd never really seen him very much. Like, I'd yeah. seen him sort of 
a couple of times on undercards. Um, but yeah, my first main event back is him versus Pack, and um, you know the cockpit is very excited to see him, so I'm getting excited as well. And this was a very memorable match. Um, definitely couldn't have wished for a better return to wrestling <laughs> than watching Oku versus Puck because um, I mean there was no way that Oku was ever going to win this match. No. Um, but I thought they got around that very, very well with the time limit thing, because a draw would have been a, a moral victory for him. Like, everyone would have celebrated like he'd just won the cup final if he had gotten to the draw. So in those last few minutes, it got really, really heated, where if there was no time limit, it never would have felt like that. But yeah. the dynamic of the match changed completely. And That, that is a fair point, because like, as the... It's the first ten minutes I didn't feel quite as invested as I I should have been in it because like uh, OJMO is he's my guy. I've I've been championing him. Well, I've been championing various people, but like OJMO in particular for the past like year and a couple of months, basically since um, the Super Strong Style weekend last year. Uh, we we just had a chat with him in the, in the pub after night three. <laughs> Like he was just happened to be in there, and we yeah. just had a conversation with him. And um, you can just tell when people are going to be stars. They just they just have it. There's like an X factor that you, you can't teach. And he just had it. Um, and then I started seeing him everywhere. I'd see him at uh, Good and Fight Club Pro, and which I think where else I saw him. I I kept seeing him at shows. I'd I'd, I'd be there, and he'd be there. <laughs> like. <laughs> He was just going to everything. I think he was driving uh, wrestlers to shows, maybe, like uh, Chuck Mambo had the year before, uh, networking and, and getting his name and his face out there. And he's, he seems to be booked everywhere now. And there's a reason for that. It's that hard work and, and drive and dedication that he showed over the, the 12 months before that. Uh, honestly, you in wrestling, you, you make a lot of your own luck when it comes to to bookings uh if you're getting out there and putting your face out there even if it's on your own money in the long run it's probably worth it uh this is uh i spoke to travis banks about this because like he did that like when he's first over he booked himself into shows as it were he went to them he made a point of going there and like uh pressing the flesh and making sure people recognized mm -hmm. him uh getting himself over with the promoters. And sometimes that's what you got to do. And the people that do do that tend to be quite successful. I mean, yeah, it's, it's what you have to do um, in, in most things, really. Um, but obviously in wrestling, when it is so, you know, at that level of interpersonal relationships, I suppose, behind the scenes... Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's clearly done the hard graft over the last couple of years. And like, as you say, we've seen him around, obviously he's done, I mean, Projo into knuckle locks, I suppose. I don't know exactly which one he got, he got started in, uh, like what name it was under. It, uh, yeah, it would have been Projo when he started. Yeah. But yeah, he's, he's clearly done the hard work he did. He'd had his little, uh, big T team that did yeah. a couple of dark matches for progress. Thing is, um, I thought he was so great in that team. Yeah. Like he clearly he had the so charisma perfect. immediately. Like he's he's got the aura and talent just to to be a wrestler there and then and then it's all just about getting the ring ring work down. And 
I mean, he's very, very good at selling, getting the heat, getting beaten up, basically. <laughs> um, you know, he, he can ragdoll himself around, and it is, it, I mean, he's an underdog in the truest sense of the world, in, of the word. Like, he could get bigger, definitely, he's got that sort of Curtis Chapman thing going on <laughs> right yeah. now. But I think that's the, the only real detriment for him at the moment, because he has the personality, uh, he can sell tickets. Yeah, because definitely. you see OJMO versus, and you go, "Oh, I wonder what that'll be like." Like the Shingo match that they put him in, the, the Brian Cage match that he had Mania weekend. It's like you can put OJMO in with just about any name out there, and I'm intrigued to see how it plays out. But yeah, the the one uh, detriment at the moment is that he he isn't very big. Um, he is going to need to put on uh, more muscle. Uh, he's certainly toned. Yeah, but uh, you know, he's I, not I, a slob or anything. <laughs> I don't think that his aura would work though if he was like some muscle man. Like his whole. I'm not. Thing I'm not saying is, like yeah. go like pack. <laughs> well, <laughs> not, <yeah. laughs> not, not to that degree. I think he just needs an in between. Definitely, and I'm sure he'll get there. I mean, he's still a very young man. So, but like, you know, you haven't filled out at that point, so. Um, I'm 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 still on the road to filling out, as you know. On <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're still a skinny boy. I I was still like very skinny into my like mid twenties. Yeah, it's not something that happens overnight. It's just it happens, and then you get older and bigger. That's some, yeah. some of these guys are just going to have to wait for that because it just naturally won't happen because they're just burning off so much of what they they put in, as it were. Jumping around the place. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was very, like, this is the first time I've seen him in, uh, like, a main event scenario or, like, a top-of-the-card scenario, and I was very impressed with just how easy he slid into that role, I guess. Yeah. Like, he, he has the whole package down, he's got his little catchphrase, he's got the half-crab over, you know. Yeah. And that, again, that plays into his underdog nature, like, he's using, sort of, the basic move against this ex-WWE guy, world talent, um, and, you know, pushing him to the limit with it, and so it's sort of like a Young Lion-esque match, but with more serious stakes. And obviously more competition, and yeah, I just thought, yeah, the energy he brought to it, getting absolutely tarred and feathered in the first twenty minutes, but then still legitimately competing for that draw right at right till the very end. And then also, I loved um, the the end of the match itself, and afterwards where Oku gets like the standing ovation as he's rolling out the ring, but he doesn't get any sort of mic time or anything. You have to win the match to get the mic time, because that's. That's the law. That's the rules, and <laughs> yeah. I, I'm I'm glad that that was upheld because it could it would have been very easy for him to you know cut the I gave it everything I had guys promo, but it's much better to leave leave people waiting for it when he gets that big win. Then we'll be able to celebrate it with him. For now, we can just applaud him for his efforts, but yeah, when he gets that big win, it will be that much more sweet because we finally get to hear from him. Yeah, I I do feel like he's kind of on the cusp. Whereas you, you get a lot of, um, what do they call them? Contenders yeah. at Rev Pro, where you watch them and think, they'll probably be good in four or five years' time. <laughs> you know, Give them a chance to build a little bit. Probably go away and get that contender stink off them and then come back. But um, I don't know. It feels like he almost bypassed that because he came in with that kind of 
persona. They they dropped yeah. the, the OJMO thing and called him Michael Oku. And he was, you know, the no frills jobber almost for them. Uh, but he was just so over, like right from the start, they they almost had no choice but to push him. And I like that he still isn't winning, but he's just getting more interesting opponents and pushing them in ways that you you don't expect, like a a contender or a young lion to do so with that level of experience. Yeah, that's definitely a, an exciting thing they can build around. And you know, Rev Pro gets a lot of. Uh, Guff, perhaps deservedly so, for not being able to translate the stuff they do on the cockpit to the bigger shows. Mm. Um, but they seem like they're doing a good job with Oku in that regard. Like giving him the Shingo match was definitely a great decision. Um, and like I'm excited to see how they match up exactly. Even if the crowd were more pro Shingo, I mean, they were kind of always going to be because they maybe hadn't seen the cockpit show. And obviously Shingo's just had his match with Will Osprey which will be talked about for a long time to come. So Oku <laughs> didn't really have a chance outside of London in that match, but it, I at least applaud them for the effort of you know, using Oku properly and giving him a match that he deserves after the pack match when he proved that he belongs as a feature guy for RevPro. I feel like he can just get himself over in, in situations like yeah. that. He's, he's good enough to do that. And it is tough to get over... In, in wrestling it's one, it's one of the hardest things to do really it's like there's yeah. no there's no recipe out there for for getting over there's there's guys who take years and and still don't get over it's just it doesn't matter how good you are it's it's uh it's an unwritten thing it's, mm, it is vision a sequel thing yeah yeah really but he is over um and i feel like he just he's been over for, since he set foot in a a rev pro ring because he just he built up that that grassroots support from being great everywhere else where he, where he wrestled and i've seen him in a couple of really small promotions and like he just has that that charisma about him that you just can't help but go like uh i really want that guy to win you know i want, I want him to be successful mm-hmm. and even when he's in like throwaway scramble matches he seems to make himself the center of attention, not and not in a bad way either, just in a I really want to root for this guy kind of way. Yeah, I mean, speaking of a six man scramble, he was at uh, the attack show that we'll probably talk about in a minute. Um, in a match like that, and definitely laid out to be the star of that match. Um, you know, with a bunch of other lesser known guys, um, and definitely the crowd were responding to him in that regard. So definitely in London. I mean, he's the, as <laughs> as I say, the saviour of Britress, sort of the interesting guy from the undercard, now that all the, the, the big boys have fucked off to their, their yeah. contracted deals. Oku the thing is, feels nature, real, he feels punk rock, I guess. <laughs> nature abhors a vacuum. These spots are coming up on cards. Yeah. They're not all going to yeah, they're not all going to get filled by imports. Yeah. Although I've noticed that there are companies that are thinking, oh no, who do we book? And <laughs> you're starting to see more imports on their cards because they don't trust the local guys because they think they're not over. And they might not be yet, but there's a spot there and he's taken it. It's that simple. They, <laughs> the he, Rev Pro needed people. He's took that spot. He's uh, got himself a nice little uh, spot in progress. Is like stars... Um, chosen one for for mps 
Yeah, so, I'm excited to see how he develops. Like, obviously, he isn't the finished product yet, so the fact that we're already singing his praises is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad that he's not the only one. We're going to talk about some other people later on that are mm-hmm. rising stars of the UK scene. So, it, But, like, OJMO has just really caught the attention over the last couple of weeks with the, the big matches that he's found himself in and the way that he's uh, carried himself in those matches. And I wish him all the best of success. Uh, we did want to talk about something else from uh, RevPro, and that's the tag team titles. So Suzuki Gun, the tag team of Minoru Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr., held those belts for well over a year. And during that year, there was only really one team that was consistently chasing them, and that was Aussie Open. So after... I want to check how many days it actually was that they held the belts for. After 475 <laughs> days. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it was it was well over a year. Um they held those titles and lost them finally to Aussie Open uh in early May at your call. And that kind of felt like almost like a passing of the torch from one team to another. It's like before that. Um, like Suzuki Gun took the belts off Mustache Mountain back in early 2018, but they were kind of in that spot because uh, CCK, had, uh, the Brooks and Banks team, had kind of run its course because Banks couldn't work there anymore. Uh, so this kind of felt like a passing of the torch from the old team that had established themselves as the team to the new team, which was Aussie Open. And yet, they held the belt for what six weeks, something like six weeks, and then uh, lost them. Why? Um, well, I will say that the other highlight of the cockpit show I went to um, was Bowden and Mark Davis walloping the shit out of each other, and that got me and Kilby genuinely fired up. <laughs> um, you know, we were we were talking about that all the way through after after it had happened, so. It is a feud that has legs, definitely. So I can see, again, it's sort of the old school booking that you put the title on the heels and get the faces to chase. I get that after, as you say, a year and a half chase, (laughs) you might want a little bit of a a rest period of not chasing um, before you immediately recast Aussie Open as the chasing team because people are eventually going to get sick of it. Um, But if they do that match in the York Hall again... um, I could see people getting as fired up as me and Kilby were for that one. Um, so I'm not too ma- mad about it. Like, again, it's only the, it is only the tag titles. Um, and ultimately, that's what the titles are there for, to get yourself to big matches. Yeah, um, just, so if it, it sets up a series of, between those teams, I'm all for it, even if it is, yeah, sort of <laughs> a fuck you in the long run. It did feel very sudden. Yeah. And especially after they dragged out the, the Aussie Open title change from when... We kind of felt like it was logically going to change uh, the end of the previous years, like six months before it actually changed. And then to kind of hook it off after 50 days is weird because traditionally uh, Rev Pro tend to pick a tag team and stick with it. Mm-hmm. That is historically what they've done. So presumably that's the intention here with, with Shah and, and Josh Bodum. Yeah, I I mean I could see these two teams trading it over a series. Like 
I honestly wouldn't be too mad about it. Like, obviously, RevPro's tag team scene has never historically been great, but obviously the Suzuki-Gun team had some good matches with it. Um, it wasn't that consistent a title reign. Like, they just showed up whenever they could get Suzuki, really. Yeah, well, they, they probably um, only had about five title defences, I want to say. Yeah, so if they so, could... It's a long time for only five title defences, but then it's because you didn't have Suzuki, so... If they could anchor the rest of the year with a feud between these two teams, that would actually be quite interesting and something they haven't really done before. Um, so yeah, I'm cautiously okay with it, but yeah, I understand the grievance. Yeah, it just seemed weird. Yeah. And it, I'm not the only one that's noticed that that has been uh, commented upon, that it was strange that it, it changed that quick. Yeah, it's nice to have a grace period just to, like, settle into something and acknowledge that it even happened. Because, yeah, like, somebody could have... I mean, <laughs> if I'd come back a month later, I would have completely missed not only them winning it, but them losing it <laughs> as well. So, <laughs> But as yeah. I say, the, the Davis-Bodum interactions were very, very exciting. <laughs> so <laughs> an eventual match between those two teams, I'm all for. Yeah, I, Bodum's a weird one, isn't it? Because like, <laughs> <laughs> we've talked about him the whole time we've done this podcast about how he probably should be higher in uh, promotions' minds when it comes to booking guys, and yeah, he can't get booked anywhere but Rev Pro, <laughs> and he still has attitude problems. Still, he is a hell of an anomaly. <laughs> yeah, I mean. There's nobody like Josh Bodum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For good or for bad. I mean, he's like an eight-year pro now. Like, he... He should be signed somewhere, shouldn't he? <laughs> he kind of... He fucked up the old Japan run. We all know about that. But like, it's not even like he can get booked somewhere. Like, he was in ICW, like, for two matches. Yeah. <laughs> like, he can't it's... even get booked there. He's not even get booked for like Defiant or something. You'd think you'd think somebody would want him. It's it's a mystery. <laughs> like we'll, we'll, like really when we do bad? the Brit retrospective podcast when we're old and grey, uh we'll know the full story. Bizarre. Um so yeah, you wanted to talk about uh, attack. You went to attack at the yes. the dome. It was it was a midweek show, and I'd I'd never I don't think I'd ever actually been to a solo attack show. I'd been to attack and flight club pro, but never just attack. So I mean, <laughs> coming back into you, it, the second show, uh, you had I'd, a much I'd better something off. You had a much better attack card than the one that I got in January, uh, when most of the roster were in uh, Tokyo. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I can... yeah, it was a little understrength when I went. I I can imagine. Yeah, this was pretty much the full set of attack guys who don't have any deals with anybody. Like it's everybody who you would have expected to see. You got your chief deputy done. You got uh, your Aussie Opens, Dan Maloney's, Chuck Mambo, all those boys, Ricky Shane Page as well um, in the main event. Um, and I, yeah, the wrestling here was actually pretty good. It's just I don't remember too much of it because I was concentrating mainly on chatting shit again with Kilby and <laughs> and uh, Co. <laughs> yeah, I, I do enjoy having a bit of a uh, natter during the show. Yeah, of course. It just I depends mean, how good the show is because, like, sometimes you you don't want to miss what's going on in the ring, and 
I mean, I, I was very happy important. just to get out the house and talking to people, yeah. <laughs> and you know, happy that uh, you know, I'd, I'd never met anybody out other than Kilby who I was talking to, so I was happy that they uh, you know, let me into the group, I suppose. So big up those those guys. Um and yeah, I enjoyed the shit chatting. And I also enjoyed the wrestling. I thought Cara Noir was very impressive. Um and obviously you were very impressed by Cara Noir as well. We'll get to that yeah. in a minute. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll de- dedicate a whole ten minutes to, to talking about that. I'd never seen Man like Darice before, but he was pretty good with Dan Maloney. Um, and they had a fun, fun tag match with, uh, Aussie Open and then pulling their little money in the bank thing straight after the match and then just winning the belts after losing the main match, uh, which was all very amusing. Um, they have this whole Illuminati thing going on, um, and some guy called Muz Mortis, who is a man in a mask, came out and it was all very creepy and... He beat Chuck Mambo in a match again, which I didn't watch too much of, um, but I remember it being quite fun. Um, there was Elijah and LK Metzinger, who I think we called Team Incel. That was amusing, and they beat up some jobbers um, <laughs> who had like an amusing in- entrance where they were like the ring crew, literally the ring crew express, like they as if like obviously they came out and it was all gimmicked, but it was like they'd just been picked out off the street or whatever. That was all very, all very fun. The OG, OGMO, Michael Oku had a fucking great star turn in the six-man scramble, full of guys I'd never seen before. Um, but you know, nobody embarrassed themselves in that match. I'm sure there'll be some future talents coming out of there. Um, Vaughn Vertigo, our favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and then we can roll, we can rock. And I don't, I remember literally nothing about <laughs> Ricky Shane Page. And Paul Robinson, because that was premium shit-chatting time, because we knew that it was the end of the show. Um, But yeah, there was some fun falling through chairs action, and people enjoyed it. (laughs) So yeah, this was a very low-key affair, and just kind of more getting out of the house than anything else. (laughs) Uh, But I very much enjoyed it, and I would like to go back to one of these midweek shows, because it is something different, and you know, everyone worked hard. Yeah, the dome's Lots great of... as well. Have you been? Have you been there before? Yeah, I'd been there for WXW before. Um, front row banging on the the ring. This one, yeah, again was more low key than that. But yeah, that's just what the doctor ordered, I think. Yeah, you got an easy way back in. I just, I'm just looking at this um, uh, a list of attack matches here and thinking, I I haven't followed attack at all for six months. I have no idea what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, you didn't really need to know, to be honest. Like, I had to ask, like, why are the Illuminati here? <laughs> and who is this guy and who is that guy? But <laughs> in general, the wrestling pretty much talked for itself, which was a good thing, because I know sometimes it can get very convoluted. But yeah, I figured everything out. It all played out very nicely. It was a fun, sociable evening. <laughs> I couldn't ask for anything more. Magic. Yes, uh, I've also been to quite a few shows. Um, I had a a bit of a rest after um, uh, Super Strong Style 16. Uh, I didn't intend it to be as long as it was, uh, but I was just, I was tired. <laughs> and it wasn't something where I realised how tired I was until it just, it was there and I was exhausted and I didn't yeah. want to do anything. 
that uh, yeah, I kind of um, kicked out of that funk uh, this past weekend. I went to four shows. That's a, it's an impressive run. It's yeah, any it's weekend four shows is bouncing impressive. back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I started off in Wolverhampton. Went to Fight Club. Uh, had a, a fairly nice time there. Uh, it was kind of one of those shows where th- there was rough and smooth and there were things I didn't like, but I'm not going to talk about those. I'm going to kind of focus on the stuff that was really good. Um, particularly uh, one match because I want to talk about Dan Maloney. So Dan Maloney has been on this really good run in Fight Club Pro uh, since like he came back. I'm trying to remember when that was. When did he come back? I guess it was around the start of the year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the first time he was back would have been the trios match against Schadenfreude. So it was him, Devlin, and, and Travis Banks. Because Dan had basically disappeared and they weren't using him and nobody was really sure why. And the way I understand it, his mom hasn't been very well. I I don't like to ask the details of that, but I think it was quite serious. Yeah. So the bookings had dried up, but it was because of personal reasons, like he wasn't taking them. Yeah. Um, So when he came back, there was a feeling of, it's like he's a new guy again. Like he's he's good again. Like he feels like he should be there, and and he's all geared up for wrestling. And we've seen that uh, over the course of the year. He wrestled Tim Thatcher earlier in the year, and he also wrestled uh, Will Osprey at DTTI weekend. And that match was fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to tell you, and. It takes two to tango, so that's not all on on Osprey. Even though he's having a, a year of matches right now that could go down in the history books as as one of the greatest years of of any pro wrestler of all time. So I don't want to oversell that at all. But like Os- Osprey's having a very <laughs> so good year. Good for Dan Maloney to get into the books with him. <laughs> Dan Maloney, yeah, had had a phenomenal match with Will Osprey. So when. Uh, I apparently had a very good match with uh, Ilya as well, which I missed because it was my uh, wedding anniversary that weekend. But when they, they booked him for this show, it was like Ricky Shane Page. And I'm not really the world's biggest uh, RSP fan. I feel like he's he's good at some aspects of wrestling, but it's not the kind of guy you put in a singles match and go, there you go, enjoy that. So my expectations were relatively low. And... They made it no DQ to really play into to Ricky's strengths. And then they just beat the absolute shit out of each other. <laughs> and it was well, easily... Yeah, that's definitely both guys' strengths, I think. Yeah, it was easily the best match on the card. It made me look at Dan Maloney in a, in a, a different new, new light in that I think he's capable of far much more than he's been doing so far in his career. Yeah, there's been a lot of false dawns for him, and obviously, if it, he couldn't have helped this previous absence, yeah. Um, but like, yeah, it's <laughs> we've always sort of been waiting for him to to finally sort of crown himself or be crowned. Yeah, it's, maybe this like, is finally the time. 
we looked at him and gone like, why is why is he not getting pushed? Like, what's what's the issue? Is the, is there a ceiling where they think he's good as a heel, but don't really see him beyond a mid card yeah, guy? That's what and... it felt like with the the Shea feud, definitely. Mm. Yeah, Shea and Martina it was what he was working with uh, before he kind of disappeared for a bit. Uh, so to see him come back and to perform like he is, he means business. And he's making up for lost time. And I know we, we spoke at length about OJ Amo and how how great he is, but Dan Maloney's ready now. Well, he's and, still only like 22, 23, so yeah. he has still been growing all this time. So yeah, he's, he was I never the finished article we've seen him previously. He's 22 years old. And in the past, I don't feel like he's really ever uh, demonstrated... Uh, how good he could be, yeah. and this is the year. It really is. <laughs> yeah, it's this is the year. And well, as you say, the the uh, gaps open to fill. And yeah, and he's he's, he's after a guy one who can fill that kind of gap. Uh, he's also in uh, Progress's uh, Natural Progression series, mm. and I feel like he's positioned to win it. Because you look at the the lineup that they've got this year, it's a really fun lineup. They they pulled uh, various different guys in. I love that Gene Money's in there. I oh, love Gene's a bit. No, <laughs> I, I, if it was up to me, Gene Money would win. But um, I just feel like <clears throat> like this is Dan Maloney's time. He's he's ready. He's been preparing mentally to be in these these positions and to to show us what he can really mm. do. And he's elevated his game this year and. That's your guy right there for second half of this year going into 2020. I think you're going to see a lot more Dan Maloney at the top end of, of cards in, in British wrestling. And this, like I say, this is his time. I think mean, he's ready. No more who, false dawns. Who is his NXT pro in the Natural Progression series? Uh, I think it's trend well, that makes sense yeah i was gonna say he came up with tyler obviously in that system yeah um in wolverhampton so like yeah, he, he comes with all the pedigree and i guess that's sort of why we've always been saying like when when is he gonna break out when when is the dawn finally gonna come with him because obviously we saw tyler come yeah. shooting straight up and you know we sort of expected maloney to do the same thing but you know we've got to realize that not everybody has the same path and that you know the, what what happens happens, you know. You, yeah, can't, takes, you can't just brand someone a failure because they don't immediately shoot to superstardom. I I feel like some people did. Yeah, the, I mean, they, they put I'm that on probably him and... guilty of that a little bit as well. But yeah, like it, that's just the nature of sports slash entertainment in this case. I think it's really like, telling you, that we you do throw people away before yeah. they're ready and foolishly because yeah. At 2021, nobody is nobody knows who the hell they are. <laughs> yeah, so you got um, last year we did uh, Euro drafts in I think it was July or August somewhere around then. Nobody picked Dan Maloney, and we even talked about it afterwards, saying that have we all fucked up by not picking Dan Maloney? <laughs> and yes, we did. <laughs> we all fucked up because we, yeah. none of us picked Dan Maloney, and we should have seen it coming. There you go. Um, so that was the first show I was at. Um, had a lovely time, as always. Fight Club. Uh, got down to London the next day, watched 
Uh, Eve in the res gal, I actually turned up like after the show had started, but that was fine. It wasn't murder to be in the res gal when it was 35 degrees outside, which was a shock. Um, the wrestlers that I'd love to talk about on that show are Japanese, so I might just kind of skip it because I, I will start talking about how much I love Maya Wiwatani and that's just going to kind of go on for a while. <laughs> so we'll, we'll move on to the other show I watched that day in the res gal, which was Southside. Two people I want to talk about from from Southside. Number one is Callum Newman. Uh, you haven't seen Callum yet, have you? Nope. So First he's, time I've heard of him. Right. Uh, it won't be the last. He's come through the London School of Lucha Libre. Um, he kind of idolises Will Ospreay. A lot of his style is based around Osprey things yeah. and doing things the Osprey way. Uh, he's 16. Uh, he's already... That's very young. <laughs> yes. He's already incredibly Ugh. creative. I'll join you on the old man train. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, but the first time I saw him was at a wrestling league uh, a couple of months ago. And I thought he was so good. I basically went out of my way to shake his hand just to say, yeah. like, well done, son. Like, <laughs> uh, so... Getting a chance to see him again here, and again, he, he really lived up to my belief that he's one for the future, but it's the near future. Um, he's incredibly talented. Yeah, I I love hearing guys who have been inspired by Will Osprey because it kind of <laughs> like That's I mean the future an, really. You're gonna to get an a extent, a kid and Carlos Romo are that, but yeah, like you can imagine, sort of there were you know eleven and twelve year olds watching those first Will Ospreay matches in New York Hall in the ballroom and going, well, I mean, you can't be 12 years old in the ballroom, but yeah, maybe maybe a 14-year-old in the ballroom. Um, watching him going like, I want to be a wrestler like that. Like, yeah. it's crazy. And obviously, Ospreay comes from a whole AJ Styles sort of route, like the, the original Ring of Honor guys. Um, so it's cool to see sort of that lineage get yeah. passed down yeah, this is the, the to next, a next generation. This is the next generation starting to come through. And I, I think Callum is going to be the first of, of several wrestlers who come through uh, inspired by what Will Ospreay's done. And you can tell just from what he attempts in the ring is that he he's desperate to, to carve his own niche in, in wrestling. He tries a lot of different things. Not all of it comes off well but you can see his school of thought is that he he wants to try different things and he wants to attack wrestling in a way that it's not been done before and I just, it's very exciting to see guys like that starting to come through because what osprey has done is kind of started a new path for people to go along and ricochet of course and i think you're going to see a lot of guys who are supremely athletic because they've started training that way from the beginning because they want to do that long-term. And yeah, Callum Newman, watch out for him. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, I've, I don't know if I had mentioned him last time uh, I'd seen him live saying that I thought he was going to be great. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I'm going to keep banging that drum because okay. it's, it's good. <laughs> Prepare uh, the on his right <clears throat> folder for five Yeah, Yeah, get, get it right because like... I said the OJMO was going to be a star just over a year ago, and he <laughs> is, so. 
Um, Fire like other... it away. <laughs> yeah, file it away. He, he will be good, trust me. He's already good. Okay. Um, the other guy I want to talk about from that show, Car Noir. Car Noir, when he, when he started, uh, Tom Dawkins, as he was back in the day, when he came back with the, the whole uh, Black Swan gimmick, um, it looked amazing, and I thought it was going to take off everywhere. But he wrestled, I can't remember, I think I saw him in the cockpit, not personally, but on tape. And when I saw him do the gimmick, I was like, this is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Like, this is going to work. Everyone's going to be all over this. Like, And then it just didn't happen. It didn't, yeah, it didn't land into the laps of the right tastemakers. Uh... I don't know. I'm guessing none of the progress guys like him. That, yeah, that's basically what I Which meant. Which <laughs> a shame, because I would love to see him do that entrance in the electric ballroom, yeah. um, because you get the professional lighting on it, and it's... It's just going to look incredible. It looks incredible when he does it in RevPro, and RevPro's production sucks. Yeah, so, I mean, it's certainly something completely different to what everyone else is doing, and as you say, it looks spectacular. And he's, you know, put a lot of thought and time and effort into it. Um, so he does definitely deserve to get a good look in. Um, and I do think he's a very good wrestler at this point. Like, yeah. he, so- he does remind me of sort of like a... Uh, a mini Matt Riddle. <laughs> like, obviously, maybe not as spectacular as Riddle, yeah, he's but barefoot, he's got that kind so... of feeling. Yeah. The... I, I don't know if I'd mentally written him off for the in-ring a little bit. Uh, I just... I always loved the entrance as Cara Noir, and I, I don't remember seeing him wrestle very much. So that makes me think I wasn't that into his in-ring stuff, just the entrance and the character. But I got to see him wrestle uh, Shigehiro Irie. Uh, at the weekend for Southside. And the match was so good. It was so good. Because um, Karanoir was forcing Irie to beat him up. He was he was absolutely smacking the shit out of Irie. He wouldn't let him rest. He wouldn't let him do his cuddly uh, Disney bear thing he he wanted like a, a pissed off angry area and he wanted to beat that guy and then he wound area up a little bit too much by uh, licking his face mm. and area grabbed him by the neck and threw him through the ropes into the wall in the resgal and yeah, if you've ever right been in the ring <laughs> yeah if you've ever been in the resgal the ropes are right next to the ring and he literally forced him to do a topa and from a storyline perspective I won't face to it he wasn't actually fucking him up uh he forced him to do a topa through the ropes into the wall and the wall is like <laughs> right outside the ring so it's yeah. literally like throwing someone straight into a wall with no protection whatsoever and it sounds spectacular <laughs> the noise alone freaked us out it's one of those spots where people didn't pop because the the reaction was like oh my god it was jaws on the floor yeah i haven't seen a reaction to a spot like that ever (laughs) (laughs) it was so ridiculous so there was i think there was five of us there so i was with mort uh i try to remember also matt uh as in dsl from germany yeah the guys I had sushi with in Japan. <laughs> yes. Um, that damn Chris was there. He's Scottish, I want to say. And 
somebody else was there. I can't remember who the other guy was. There's five of us, and we all had the exact same reaction. And we were just looking at each other, and nobody said anything. And it was just like mouth agape, just like, what the fuck? And the finish was like right after that, because it was just that. It has to be. Yeah, <laughs> you can't top that. Yeah. You can't, you can't and, go from that to a, a, a power bomb. <laughs> yeah, well, he hit him with like a fire thunder driver, but yeah. he could he could barely get him up for it. Like Karanawa's dead on his feet, and it's just that's the finish. And <laughs> it was so great that I I spent the rest of the weekend telling anyone who would listen that they had to go and get Southside on demand, pay, <laughs> pay that five ninety nine. And watch that match because they had to see that finish because it was fucking incredible. Wow. And it's his south side. Like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we almost intentionally ignore them. <laughs> south side a promotion who I spent most of my adult life completely avoiding because yeah. I just have no interest in them at all. And they put this match on and I'm just I considering like dropping the five ninety nine, <laughs> getting the uh, getting the service just so I can watch that match again and do like a gif of, of them being thrown into the wall. But it, it would lose all the, the the specialness of it because the camera's on the wrong side, so it wouldn't have seen what we saw. So that was my special moment, and nobody can take that away from no, me. That's why but live wrestling is the best. It's the best because <laughs> sometimes you go in with it's zero expectations and just. Bang! That happens. I, yeah. It sounds like it played into what the match was going for as well, as you say, with him winding Eerie up yeah, to the point where he gets he face planted him. into a wall. He baited him all the way through, and the idea was to try and draw Eerie out and try and make him lose his temper, which he did. But that's exactly why you don't want to piss Eerie off because, like, he's really strong. Uh. So yeah, there was that, and I we really need to get on to Wrestle Kingdom next. So I've mm-hmm. kind of gone on too long. Uh, so Wrestle Kingdom two, um, I raved about Wrestle Kingdom last year. I I thought it was an extremely important show. I think it was definitely in the running for Show of the Year, uh, twenty eighteen. Nobody agreed with me on the podcast at the end of the year. Uh, I hate them all for it. They they made some terrible mistakes on that podcast. Um, but yes. Wrestle Kingdom, the first one, massively important show, showed that Eve could run a big building, uh, showed that women's wrestling could draw by itself um, and not just draw like a niche crowd, but draw like a, a proper uh, like York Hall-sized attendance uh, to go and watch women's wrestling. So I thought that was a huge show. And this year... I had doubts about whether they could follow that up, but I was going to go because I knew that they would they would try very hard to do that. And although this show didn't have the moments that last year's did, it didn't have Charlie Morgan coming off the balcony, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm sure they couldn't do again because they'd get kicked out of the building. Yeah. They probably got told, <laughs> don't do that or you'd never come in here again. Um, and it, But it didn't have that standout match like that match uh, with Charlie and Sammy Jane or the Mako Satamura Kaylee Ray match. Nothing was on that level. And they they didn't do the whole let's throw in a million stipulation matches to, to get people interested. So they didn't waste all the time with the cage. And they just got on with it. And like I say, it wasn't as good as it was last year, but it was consistently decent. I don't think anything 
uh, shit the bed. I feel it was, um, there were a lot of very good matches. I thought Mayu Iwatani could get so was very good. That's one they had in from stardom. Uh, Laura Di Matteo with a storyline match against Jordan Grace. That was very good. They had the great moment with um, Jetta and Erin Angel winning the tag titles. If you've been to Eve at all, you'll understand the importance of that and how Jetta and, and Erin have, have carried uh, the women's scene when there wasn't one. Jetta, for a long time, was the only woman that was on any show that I went to in the Midlands. There was nobody else. Um, so for for them to be there and to be rewarded with the first ever tag titles uh, in Eve, I think that says a lot. And it was it was a nice moment. Uh, you also had Sue Young and, and Martina absolutely tore the house down with a a uh, I uh, they called it a, an undeath match. <laughs> But it was, they did everything. Uh, Martina bladed like a minute into the match. And uh, as soon as that happened, I was like, they mean business here. It was weird at times. They had a, uh, some guy came out in a giant baby costume at one point, And I don't really know what they were going for. Is that like a gimmick in for Suya or uh, Martina? I don't know. I don't really know what's happening. Um, Nobody has been able to explain that to me. I kept asking As people. But... Sometimes in Eve, weird stuff happens, like the the like the bear stripper or whatever she was dressed up as. It's Ewok, I think. You, oh yeah. Um, well, e- Ewok's a type of bear. Yeah, I guess so. Space bear. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a crazy match. They finished with like a, a superplex onto set up chairs. It, it was that kind of match. They, yeah. they went all out there and uh, they did a lot of weird stuff, but they did a lot of hardcore stuff as well. And <laughs> Martina... Like a, quite the spectacle. Yeah. Yeah, Martina has definitely been uh, going out there this year and going and proving that she can do it all, which is something... If you'd have told me that a year and a half ago, I probably wouldn't have believed you. She's really... St- started out this year with the intention of being a better wrestler across the board. Absolutely everything about wrestling she want, she wanted to get better at, and I feel like she has. That's good. <laughs> yeah. It's good good that she's got the drive. I mean, no, I'm sure going sure. to Japan as often as she does definitely helps with that, and you know, having it be the full-time profession now. I mean, you're going to get better whether you want to or not, but if you want to, you're going to get better. Definitely. Yeah. I felt like she, she did get stuck in a niche for a little while, but... Um, yeah. She's definitely come past that now. Um, she's trying different things. Uh, yeah, she's working it is really good hard. to see that she is branching the character out beyond yeah. the same old thing, which she was doing for like a good solid year yeah, after yeah. it had gotten worn out. But it yeah, was this sounds tedious. She was touring it around different promotions, so it wasn't yeah, too bad. If you but were like, watching everything, yeah, obviously. if you you watch everything, you, you're seeing it time and time again, and it was just yeah. it was getting a bit much. But yeah, she does, does sound good. like she's got a, found herself a new edge, especially with this match. Yeah, she well, she was supposed to be in King of the Death matches this year, and that that didn't happen for I think it was visa reasons was the the excuse given as to why she wasn't there. But um, yeah, that would have been something. I think perhaps jumping in with both feet without realizing what you're landing in, which is thumbtacks <laughs> <laughs> and barbed wire trampolines. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, she's, she's worked really hard. Um, I'm really proud of her, to be honest. I think she's done uh, terrific work this year and long may it continue. Um, 
There was uh, a match after that with uh, Arissa Hoshki and Little Miss Roxy. Uh, Roxy's from Newcastle. I thought she she acquitted herself really well. Um, Arissa is. I was trying to explain this to people at the show. Uh, Arissa Hoshki is somebody who took like six years out of wrestling and came back just over six months ago. And for somebody who's been out that long and has barely been back, she is phenomenally good. Um, she kind of reminds me of Tommy End um, before he settled down a bit with the head strikes. Because she does kicks to the head and like knee strikes really, really phenomenally well. And because she does, that's like the best thing she's best at. She kind of does it too much. Yeah. Which is a shame. <laughs> We've talked at length about that <laughs> yeah, in the yeah. archives. Yeah, so... um, But she has huge potential because when she does land stuff, it looks incredible. And you, you watch her in, like, GIF or, like, music video form and you're, yeah. like, you're like, going, fucking hell, who is this? <laughs> so, um... I, I feel like she has potential to round all that out. And it was great to see Roxy get a chance against her. And they had a good little match. They got a little bit lost at the end. And Arissa had a similar problem with Laura DiMatteo uh, the day before, where she obviously hadn't explained to Laura what the finish was. So um, Arissa's finish is a, a Brazilian kick, which is like a delaying uh, kick to the back of the head. And she did it to Laura twice. And both times Laura just kind of fell into the ropes and was still standing. And then they had a little bit of a chat about what was going on. <laughs> and and then Arissa rolled her up to the three count, like a small package. And that, that was the end of the match. And she had a similar little communications issue with, with Roxy towards the end of the match where it just, somebody forgot what the spot was. I, I'm assuming it was Arissa because Roxy was kind of in position for it. But uh, yeah, that was unfortunate. Um... And they finished the show with uh, Viper and Kaylee Ray, which um, I was a little disappointed with. I thought it was too long. Um, did you see the the hardcore match they had in ICW? Um, I think it was Fear and Loathing, right? Yeah, yeah, I saw that one. I thought it was a great match, and but that was only like ten minutes. So. Yeah, yeah, this was thirty minutes. Well, obviously. Um... As we know from one Kenneth Omega going way too long yeah. uh, in a main event scenario it's, can definitely be a it's unnecessary. A I think they they pissed about for about ten minutes and it they, yeah they kind, kind of got stuck into it a little bit and then the last ten minutes was really good. Like there are definitely exceptions to this Oku Pack being one, but I sort of made up the rule that uh, a wrestling match can't go longer than a Simpsons episode. So it's like 23 minutes, I guess. Right? Yeah, you can include adverts in that as well if you're watching it on TV. So <laughs> maybe like 26 is the limit for me. And I mean, Oku Pack went like 28, so I'm okay with it. But <laughs> Marginal. Yeah, I, I'll allow an overtime period. But yeah, when you yeah when you start going over half an hour, it can it can get very self serving. And of it, like obviously, there's some times when it does work. But yeah, like, as a rule of thumb, that tends to be what happens. But it can just turn into 10 minutes of pissing about at the start just to get to the the braggy half an hour number. I was was so worried about this match after 10 minutes that I thought they were actually going to go Broadway. (laughs) 
<laughs> I thought they were actually going to go 60 minutes yeah, and no, have a I draw. I would have been waiting in the pub for a while. Yeah, no, you wouldn't have done because I'd have left. <laughs> <laughs> if they'd have started to go like past 35 minutes, I'd have been like, okay, this is, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Because they didn't have that long in them. And they didn't have as long in them as they did. They could have had a really good 15, 20 minute match, but they, they felt the need to go a little too long. And I was a bit annoyed about that. But um, they did like a a post-match angle where Rhea O'Reilly, who was yeah. still like the matchmaker, I guess, for, for Eve, basically made herself a match against Viper and beat her. And some people saw that as a heel turn. I thought it is a taking the belt off a selfish WWE contracted uh, <laughs> wrestler and keeping it in the company. I well, think she should be applauded for now. But yeah, I, I am quite often at odds with what uh, people want me to think. And yeah. that was an example of it right there. Like, I guess it's good that you can take it both ways. It sets up more intrigue. I don't think it was supposed to be taken. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this is... But yeah, sort of, yeah, you can sort of tell having two WWE people in that situation. Yeah, like, it, it was kind of set up to be a bit self-serving, I feel. Like, a sort of pat on the back. And, you know, they deserve a pat on the back, but, you know, <laughs> giving yourself one in the middle of a ring is... You know, just go, come to the arms and go see your old mate Ollie instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I I have issue with WWE have been basically hoovering up as much uh, talent as they possibly can, and the one promotion I thought it was going to damage the most was Eve. Yeah, because that uh, like European women's wrestling, are including Europe in that because their their pool is very shallow. There's not a lot of depth. And once yeah, you get past the first, like, 10 to 20 uh, wrestlers in, in Europe, there's not a lot of depth there. There's a lot of inexperienced up-and-coming wrestlers, and that's what they've got to go on, which is why they're having to use imports. And I completely understand Eve uh, bringing in imports to pad out their cards. because yeah. I mean, there is absolutely pro with stardom as the New Japan. I hope they do. I hope that's they have that relationship. Yeah, and... I, I have no problem with that. It means people get to see a lot of cool wrestlers and uh, the European women get to work with the Japanese women, yeah. which can only help it them out. It can only make them better in the, in the long run. So, yeah, I, I think that would be a, a very beneficial thing for them to continue forging. Obviously, they brought Rossi over, which <laughs> people enjoyed. <laughs> like if you take... If you look at the card and you remove people who are either contracted to WWE and therefore are completely unreliable like uh, Nina Samuels and Ginny. It's like you don't know if you're going to be able to use them or not. Yeah. And you take away the people who are doing a lot of tours now like Jamie Hayter and Martina and you look at what's left and what's left is Rhea O'Reilly Little Miss Roxy who was there because of a late replacement. I can't remember who she was supposed to face, but it was somebody got removed from the card. Uh, you got Mercedes Blaze, uh, Jetta, Erin Angel, Laura Dimitar. So, uh, oh, and Nightshade, Nightshade as well. So seven. Um, they're going to find it very, very difficult to run any kind of a show without bringing talent in 
And that will be with using literally everyone that's available in the UK. Mm. So they'll have to use people like Kanji who are relatively inexperienced but good and build them up. So um, just like it was six months ago, fuck WWE is the message. Yeah, yeah I, there's, uh, there's places that don't have that problem where they can bring people up and fill those spots. And mm. there are plenty of male wrestlers out there who are, who are good but have not had the opportunity. When it comes to the women's scene, there, there is less depth. And that's a big problem for Eve. And I don't even know what the solution is. Like, how many trainees do they produce? Yeah, I guess part of it is increasing the talent pool, I guess. Um, yeah. It's certainly yeah, gotten I'd... better. <laughs> it, when we were talking about it at the Euro draft last year, we were saying that we left a lot of women undrafted who were regulars in Europe. Yeah. And there was depth to the scene where we could have gone and drafted more whereas like the first time we did it it was almost like we were scraping the barrel when we got to the the last round we were picking people who were all right yeah well i mean obviously as it's boomed and as more opportunities have arisen there has become both a stronger talent pool in terms of quality and quantity um but yeah wwe sort of cutting the head off of that suddenly shrinks it again <laughs> they really Very just have to take, they've taken too many people but the, the the real problem is not that they've signed them to contracts i have absolutely no problem with anyone signing a contract and yeah, making but money it's, in but they're sort of in this limbo between appearing and not appearing yeah, and yeah really it's not being able to I, wrestle certain people so Ginny, i thought was done i thought she had her goodbye to eve yeah. match she's done with progress and then here she is on on queendom 2 in a tag for some and reason then you, I don't... then you never not like yeah is the only, the only long-term solution is to not use them at all i don't know i but don't know then... and nina samuels as well she's got a contract she was there taking a job to somebody who's in stardom and i don't really know if that's something they'll be able to do in, in the future so yeah i didn't mean to draw that into a wwe <laughs> conversation but it was literally just looking at the card and thinking look at all the people who are, who are leaving or might leave. And I it's think tricky. One thing I did want to say coming back after a few months away is how just like anti buzz that UK show has on on the network. Like nobody is watching it, nobody's I think, talking no, about I, it. Ian Hamilton watches it and reviews it, and I yeah. know uh Andy Ogden watches it and talks about it. So if you're looking at people who have like a voice that, that people listen to, you've got two there. Yeah. But, but there's in terms no, like, of like, buzz the big... about it. There's no yeah. like anybody live tweeting it or anything or shit. Like the the match involving a, a British guy in WWE that I've heard most about was the Jack Gallagher match in two oh five live. So <laughs> it's even below two oh five live in terms of buzz and and newsworthiness and it seems like shoes off if you hate Gibson is the only thing that's over on the entire show. Honestly, I haven't watched it since Takeover because I think they they screwed up on takeover, and I don't know. Like you said, there's just not enough buzz to draw me in. I've heard there's been good matches on the show, and there's got to be good matches on the show because yeah, the talent pool they've got is terrific. Just, even if there are good matches, there's just no interest. Like if if a free staff match falls in a forest and nobody's there to see it, 
I, I don't know. I, I just don't watch it. But it's it's merely a case of I don't think it's good enough to break into my viewing schedule. Yeah. Uh, I have to watch a lot of wrestling. Yeah, it's yet another hour of wrestling. And yeah. it's completely... I mean, I don't even watch NXT. Yeah. Which I used to watch that religiously, and I just, I just don't now. And if I'm not going to watch that, I'm not going to watch the, the UK version. It's... <laughs> It's just an under thing, you know? It's not the main thing. So I, I, main I would thing. say that's the biggest shame of all, is that they're getting signed away to do a show that isn't even interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that is what it is. And, um, yeah, obviously WWE and all that all that comes with it, but yeah. Um, we're going to finish on somewhat of a sad note, mm-hmm. um, and that's the passing of... Uh, Lionheart, um, who died uh, on June the nineteenth. Um, any any thoughts on on Lionheart and his uh, his passing? Yeah, well, it's obviously absolutely horrible. Like, obviously, anybody dying is terrible, and you know, far before their time is even more so. But you know, the whole camaraderie element of you know essentially doing the whole traveling circus thing with the other guys with the other wrestlers you know having such a close-knit group you know it definitely stings to lose someone in that fashion from that yeah it's it is absolutely horrible thing to hear about um yeah i I don't have any any sort of spin on it other than yeah no horrible news yeah, I mean, he, he was a professional wrestler for, for 17 years. So, yeah. he's... so he has seen it all, done it all, and, you know, worked with so many guys. So, yeah, it's definitely going to be a tough one for the entire scene, really, because everybody will have known him or known someone who yeah. knew him. Um, he was was generally not uh, disliked by people. I mean... I, I've heard people be critical of his work, but like as a person, I, nobody had a, uh, a bad word to say about him. Which um, I think that that speaks volumes of, of the individual, especially in in British wrestling, where so many uh, wrestlers have been attacked for their uh, personal politics and uh, opinions away from wrestling. He, he did seem like a, a genuinely good dude, so um, it's it's sad that he's gone. Um, ICW champion when he uh, when he died. So he kind of was at the peak of his career and only 36 years old. Ah, uh, really sad. Um, before we leave, do you have anything that you need to plug? Um, well, right now, I haven't made any sort of official return to Twitter, so I will keep that <laughs> in the dark for now. Um... I yeah, I will plug uh the Voices of Wrestling podcast and Brit Rest Roundtable. <laughs> listen to our previous shows. L- listen to the shows that I was on previously, if you don't know who I am, if I've been gone that long. I don't even know who Billy Eilish is, so I'm very out of the loop. I do. <laughs> She's the bad guy zipping up with mad mad lines. I don't know the song. I know the meme. She's, I don't know, she's someone, but I don't know exactly. <laughs> this is what feeling old feels like. 
You, yeah, I I don't worry about not what's, knowing what's who, his name. <laughs> who uh, pop stars are anymore. It's it's just one of those things that I just like who. I I, uh, I said I didn't know who Demi Lovato was on on Twitter, and I had one of her uh, stands <laughs> quote tweeted saying "delete this now," and I'm like I I legitimately don't know who she is. Sorry. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Arnold Furious. Uh, you can read. Uh, my writing at rearviewreviews.com uh i've done some bits and pieces recently like the aew show and uh the new japan show from uh australia um see uh visit voicesofwrestling.com for all your other review and podcast needs um We'll be back next time, possibly as an actual roundtable with, with three of us, which will be the first time in... A pointy triangular roundtable. Yes, pointy table. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to Rob again. It's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.